You are now doing less once again with John and Jeff. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we are apparently, according to Neil Kashikari, we might be in a recession as of now. So, uh, <laughs> as of today, the, uh, as of the, yeah, as of today, something <laughs> changed. So, um, it's not any of the three weeks of the whole economy being <laughs> shut down was any indication. No, today. I guess once you saw the six point six, yeah, the six point six million new initial job jobless claims, um, something kind of went off in his in his mind, and now we might be in a recession. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Jeff? That's uh, six point six million. It's a lot. Um, yeah. Last week set a record with like three million, and then this week we mind doubled you, the, that. Yeah, the previous record was like a couple hundred thousand, I think. I think it was like 600,000. 600,000, and then 3.3 million, followed by 6.6 million. Granted, the population is increasing. Well, it has been increasing over the last whatever years, so you have to factor that in somehow. But still, it's it tripled like the previous high, so it's... Yeah. And then it doubled that. <laughs> so we're we're like week. six times higher than the previous like the 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 high before this ordeal. And not to mention, I don't know how you would factor all of this into I guess a single number to report, but the initial jobless claims mixed with the slurry of Fed easing, uh they're just they just pumped up their balance sheet um after massive cash, cash injections into the economy, bail, or I guess it's not a bailout of the banks, but it's propping up the banks. Their total is now $5.8 trillion uh, outstanding um, on their balance sheet of money that was created. So uh, if you want to combine that with the initial Kajabas claim, I think you're looking at some <laughs> normalized for the balance sheet. I think you're looking at some pretty stellar... Uh, you know numbers that you've never seen before with that in that kind of easing <laughs> easing uh magnitude yeah shit's pretty fucked up <laughs> uh is the best way i can just say about all that um yeah it sucks i mean people are just losing their jobs left and right and uh i mean there's it, there's it's obvious why it's just everything's shutting down. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if what, what people can really do in the meantime to increase that productivity, but I feel like there's gotta be, there's gotta be opportunities out there. I just, I don't necessarily know what they are. Yeah. So without getting too much into that, I mean, we have some other episodes that we talk more on this subject that's not really the point that's not really the point that we're gonna try to get into today's episode today's episode we're gonna take a little step back from the hard-hitting macroeconomic uh news i guess you could say and numbers like, are for nerds we've been talking too <laughs> many damn be... numbers on this podcast and <laughs> nobody cares yeah get some more uh phil- philosophy my we inbox can, can, is full of emails with just subject line, nobody cares, 
body, no no text. No, they don't don't even bother to write anything. <laughs> just I get the message, guys. You, no one cares. What could they be trying to tell you? I don't know. <laughs> um, but today we're going to be talking about what makes an economy productive. The kind of subtleties and um, things that you may not think about that uh, really take an economy from being surviving to thriving, which is kind of what you want to see in a in a to get economic growth so jeff you have you have a good example of something that people may not think about yeah uh, it's really interesting so basically um you know back when we were cavemen there was no money and then we discovered if we print uh pieces of paper into rectangles and color them green and you just keep doing that over and over again everyone just suddenly gets really wealthy <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Now, um, yeah, I, I think what the uh, what often goes overlooked is the importance of of savings. And one, how do you get savings, and and what do you do with them? And at the heart of economic growth is is savings, right? Like, if you think about the cave the cavemen, right? They didn't have any savings because they spent all day long hunting and gathering and, you know, lighting a fire to stay warm. And by the end of the day, they're exhausted and they're still not like they've got nothing to bank on. Right. Like they just got to do it again tomorrow. Right. And it's just rinse and repeat day after day after day until they die. That's why the cavemen never like grew. It wasn't until they discovered farming that economies started to form and grow. And because what farming allows for is for savings. You can grow more food in a day. Well, not really in a day, but you know, like in a harvest, you can grow much more food than one person might need. And so suddenly you've unlocked the potential for other people to do other things. That's what savings allows. And I think that's really like the heart of how economies grow. And that's why we're in so much trouble is because I think we lack so much savings and we're trying to replace that savings with either like money printing or debt. And it's not the same. It Savings are not measured in dollars. They're measured in, in wealth, in, in, in real usable assets. Like food is wealth. Housing is wealth. You know, oil is wealth. These, these are things that you can actually use that's like that's real wealth you know monet like paper is not it's not real wealth um it can potentially be a claim on real wealth but you can't confuse it for the real thing um and just creating more of it doesn't doesn't generate you more wealth what generates you more wealth is more savings more productivity that sort of stuff yeah so it's interesting to think of this in terms of a kind of mental model that is use, is useful in different applications. Um, one of which is politics, how people say the left and the right don't actually extend outward. They actually, they're actually cyclical. Like once you get really, really far left extreme, you're actually more like the really, really far right extreme than mm -hmm. you are like a moderate left to a far, far left. 
um, similar a moderate right is to a far, far right. right. Um, so that mental model, I think, also is useful here, where you have this extreme scenario, as Jeff was saying, of the, of the hunters, um, the hunter-gatherers. They, they, had to, they had to work, they had to uh, bust their ass every day just to, you know, to live to the next day. To keep mm-hmm. themselves breathing, like just survival was, uh, um, was so intensive that it, that uh, took up all their capacity. So it wasn't. There's no question of like, what should I be doing with my time? What should I be doing with my wealth? It's just like, can I live to see the next day? Am I <laughs> right. going to be able to survive to the next day? Um, you, you start introducing wealth into that equation. Start introducing division of labor. Actually, growing the economy, as Jeff was saying, you're able to do. Um, as things get more efficient and you're kind of straying away from that extreme, uh, that extreme end of just survival every day. But then if you extend yourself into the, into that economy to the point where everybody is so indebted, right? You, you can start introducing the concept of debt, which actually is a, is a source of efficiency in economy. Like ha- having lending, having debt is like, you, you're able to get more efficient um, mm-hmm. w- when that's introduced in the economy. But once there's so much debt, that you get to the point where every single entity in the chain has to service their debt to the point where they can't even they can't even right. think about being right. su- operating at a surplus. You get to the point where <laughs> once you introduce so much debt, you're more like the the hunter gatherer <laughs> struggling such a to good survive <laughs> than you were like the person who was able to borrow responsibly. So once you introduce all that credit. You're uh you're kind of sending yourself backwards, in uh. Dude, in holy shit, that just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're turning ourselves into cavemen. <laughs> yeah, once you, like that that uh, that will to live is is pushing you to you know find your next meal, but then that there's also a point where you have to like that that rent that the rent check is due. Right. That's like all that you're focused on. You're working so hard to just meet the rent or just meet your grocery bill you know or your credit card bill right whatever you have to service you you lose the ability to um to actually thrive and and create like a a sustainable life for yourself right and you hear this more more often is uh people living paycheck to paycheck you hear about that all the time and it's not just like poor people it's like people middle class people families living paycheck to paycheck Doctors, and so, even. doctors, yeah, yeah, and doctors, like, and so, like, you're hearing more and more of this, and th- like you said, like, that's that's more like a hunter gatherer than somewhere in the middle, because it's it's if you're constantly living paycheck to paycheck, you know, like you're trapped, right? And if if any like volatility hits you, it just it that you know way of living can't sustain that. Just like the hunter gatherer, if there's a you know if the deer population goes away or whatever they're screwed just in the same as like is the if your society's built off living paycheck to paycheck you can't you can't withstand this volatility like the coronavirus or something like this and so i think and i don't i don't blame the people you know i don't feel like people are at fault we have this bad actor which is the fed and we talk about them all the time that is actively discouraging people to save and so you know it's not like we're like they they hold a lot of the blame here is like they've basically made this bad incentive for everyone in the economy to act like hunter gatherers and not accrue savings and not like do the thing that actually 
grows economies and produces wealth. So it's it's pretty it's pretty frightening stuff. Another thing that like like while we're talking about savings, you can think of is okay, like how do you how do you get savings, right? Uh, and the answer is increases to productivity, right? So hunter gathering, you could either just be so good at hunting that like you know you could provide for your whole tribe, but that was just not likely gonna happen, right? What's more likely is they they have this new this new way of doing things, farming. And what is farming doing? It's just like it's essentially automating the the food collecting process, right? Like you're taking what a task that was an all day task to get food, and you're just putting it in the ground and letting it get food for you, right? You're automating the gathering. You're automating, or with livestock, you're automating the hunting. That's what, that's what, that's this not the novelty of this invention is you're essentially taking a task that, you know, you had to repeat over and over again, and you're just letting it accrue wealth for you while you sleep. You know, you put in a little bit of upfront work and there's a return on investment. You take, instead of eating all the food you gathered, you take a few of the seeds or whatever, and you put in a little bit of upfront investment, and then boom, later down the line, you reap the the return on investment. And so it's that's the key is like is automating your the repetition that produces savings. Anytime you can automate, you're generating savings, and your savings will generate like um, will have compounding effects. And that's where wealth comes from. Like. You look at how wealthy we're all we are now. That's just compounded savings of over over time, like over and over and over and over again. And so, uh, you know, and you like automating. You can do anywhere. Like, there's so many examples of automating, right? Like, even just like little examples, right? Like, just think about the copy paste function, right? <laughs> like, like think about how many cumulative man hours have been saved by the fact that you could just take some piece of information and then quickly transfer it to somewhere else. Like that has probably saved so much time compared to like when people are like on typewriters or whatever, like (laughs) just trying to reproduce information. And so it's like, or just even if you had to write it down on a notepad or whatever, like I I can't even think what, like it's so hard to even estimate the, the, the cumulative number of man hours. Just this one tiny little, novelty has done for us right what do you think how many man, yeah. how many man hours do you think that's safe i mean it's probably seconds per day like like a couple seconds per day so you're talking about times the workforce uh, in the world <laughs> right know, times the last 20 years it's just right like, you're starting you, to get you could get it. like a, you could start to get an estimate there and it's just like yeah. that's From insane just that almost trivial thing Right. And, and people's time is another resource, right? So time is a resource. So if you're saving people's time, that's savings that can be used to, you know, accrue wealth. And so again, that's like, I feel like I really want to hammer home this idea that like savings is at the heart of, of, of economic growth. And I think people just have completely lost sight of that with what's everything that's going on right now. Yeah, so savings un- kind of unlocks the ability to to kind of trial and error, kind of unlocks some ability 
or capacity to test out ways to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. Once you're able to be more efficient, um, you're able to be more productive as a society and your living s- standard increases. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's like what we believe is like the, the true source of economic prosperity. Um, there's a conflicting viewpoint, which people who kind of, uh, espouse this viewpoint may not even disagree with that process in a macro view, but they say, you know, when, when they zoom in on a, on a transaction or a product, they'll say they, they, they'd like to, um, they'd like to initiate a different sorts of logic. And that is what something is worth is how much time was spent to create it. Um, Mm. Which is not really in line with this idea of, you know, productivity is actually generating. uh, The productivity is the driver behind the standard of living increase. I think what, like... if I could rephrase is essentially instead of uh, the assumption that, I mean, there's a couple assumptions in here, um, but as it relates to what we were talking about is, you know, the way that wealth is accrued. If you, if you look at the labor theory of value is basically, you just need to get more and more people underneath you. And then you just extract the value from their labor. And that's how you get wealth. And so really the only reason there is more like the appearance of more wealth is just because there's these hierarchies that have formed where there's just people extracting the wealth from bigger and bigger hierarchies of people. And that that's why they've been accruing more and more wealth. And I mean, there's a whole, there's a lot of reasons why this is wrong. I don't know if you want to get started on that but it's it's a very nonsense idea but it is it is very prevalent in today's day and age and in a lot of people's thinking is that the value of someone's labor is is just that it's their labor that's the value um and it's not what they produce that's not the thing that is is valuable um and so i mean there's so many ways you can attack this yeah so I think that, I mean, the first way I would say is kind of what we see going on right now, which is what we've been seeing. I mean, this is not just a recent thing with the coronavirus. We've been seeing this massive focus on unemployment, low unemployment numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And and having low unemployment is kind of a good, um, It's sometimes it's a good indicator that your economy is healthy, right? Because there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of profitable ventures that are able to Mm -hmm. be completed by any participant in the economy. Um, But it's not guaranteed that that's what it means. Uh, So so here's an example. If you pay people to dig ditches and fill them back in, right? You give them all (laughs) spoons, right? So go dig a ditch with a spoon and you, you probably hire a thousand times more people than you would have. if You got one person on in a, a backhoe, um, <laughs> you, you know, so in that way, if you, and then your product is what you have a ditch that's filled in again, you have <laughs> effectively no product. So it's like, how much are you willing to pay for this ditch once it's filled back, you know, after it's filled back in again, it's like, well, n- nothing like, no, I, I employed 
I employed a, a thousand people in this endeavor. And it's just like, I had to pay every single one of those. What are you, heartless? You don't want to pay me to have to, I had to pay all those people. And you're just like, yes, but I don't want. <laughs> I don't want you know, that, what you're that selling, like, sir. <laughs> that, that's immediately like, it should just, be, that should just illustrate. It's it's not just unemployment. It's not just low unemployment that makes anyone any, any better. Like Right, because you can employ the entire workforce, like you said, digging ditches. And what is our wealth once that if you if the, if our entire, you know, populace spent the whole year digging ditches and filling them back in, you know, we and we we taxed everyone and spent the GDP, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you could come up with like great numbers like unemployment was low, mm-hmm. uh, you know, GDP was great. And then at the end of the year, what are you left with? A bunch of ditches that we all filled back in. So it's like, clearly that's not the source of wealth. Like, it's just, you cannot claim that to be. Right. And so I I think that's completely absent in the conversation, like in the conversation that's currently prevailing, which is we just need to keep people employed through this this period. It's like, that's our number one focus, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, okay, I'll give you this. It's, it's, uh. You care, you care about people, you know, you're Mm -hmm. definitely showing me that you care about people, which I think is valuable. Mm -hmm. And I also care about people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want people to suffer. I don't want, I mean, there's massive, there's going to be massive, you know, sadness. Losing a job is hard. Like it's, no one wants to lose a job. No one wants to see somebody lose their job. So it's really tempting to be able to say our number one focus right now is to keep people from losing their jobs. And it's just like knowing this, knowing what I just said, it's like that's a good indicator of that we're succeeding, but that's not the number one thing we want. We want pe- people to be able to live the lifestyle that you know they're right. currently living. Right. If everybody's employed, that doesn't mean anything about the lifestyle. So it's like that's completely absent in the conversation. Like, how are we going to keep people employed and productive? Right. right. Another it's good mental people- model is is root cause analysis. Right. So unemployment is a symptom of the problem, right? And people think that if they solve the unemployment, they've solved the problem, but they haven't. It's just a symptom. So it's it, like really at the heart of the issue here is we want to maintain everyone's standard of living. That's what we'd like to have happen. And people think this is a question of should we do it? No, it's not a question of should we do it? It's a question of can we do it? And the answer is just no. <laughs> you cannot c- maintain the current standard of living and reduce our exposure to coronavirus. There's a trade-off. Trade-offs exist everywhere in the world. This Mm -hmm. is one of them. We're trying to limit people's exposure to coronavirus, and we cannot maintain our previous standard of living if we do that. That's the trade-off. So this isn't a question of should we bail people out, because the answer is we can't. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't care if you can print money to give to people or cancel their mortgages. You're, you're, not, you're not thinking about the heart of the problem. And that is the standard of living must fall due to the actions we must take to limit this issue. And so it's like any solutions you come up with that are layered on top of this are not addressing the root cause here. So you're, you're just not seeing the big picture if you think we can just both limit our exposure and maintain our standard of living. It's just that you can't. They're trade-offs. It's like uh, having your cake and eating it too, that expression. It's, it's, mm-hmm. There's certain things you can't have both of. Right. You certainly wouldn't. I mean, th- I, 
I think a good way to think about things is to, to take it to the extreme and just see how, yeah. how it works out the edge case. If we had an alien invasion or if we had a meteor strike, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter how much money the government gives you, <laughs> right? It, it's like you could go rush into the government. This is so much worse than coronavirus. This is like a, a meteor coming right at us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to wipe out our whole population. And the government could say, look, this is, this is not your fault. You know, that's, that's what people like to say. They say, the right. coronavirus isn't anyone's fault. It's no right. business's fault. Like, they shouldn't have to... It's like, it's not about what you should or shouldn't have to do. It's like, what can be done? It's like, yeah. if there's a meteor coming, there's the, the government can't do anything. They can't can't give you anything or say anything to stop right. it. It's like, you there's have nothing to they can do to help you, yeah. There's and it's exogenous... Like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, you brought up, like, like, it's not your fault, and... Like, I don't want this to sound condescending, but that is a very childish worldview <laughs> where it's like, right. if something's not your fault, like, you shouldn't have to deal with the consequences. Like, that, how how could we ever achieve such a, such a world like that? Like, you're living in a, a fantasy land if you think we can, if we can make that a reality. It's, I think people have a, a kind of a poor in- interpretation of the Constitution or like the Bill of Rights say, mm-hmm. and they think that it's like those are promises. It's mm. like those are things that are not to be infringed upon, but it's not promise. Like no one's providing that for you. That's just stuff that you, uh, that no one can can take away from you. Right, but doesn't mean you necessarily get it. Yeah, it's not like a. It's not like you you sign the sign the line and then no one will and the government will make sure that you have these things. It's like these are your your pursuits that you're able to to uh um endeavor upon right and it's like as a country we believe that no one can infringe upon those things but it's not as a country it's not we we provide those in the in the in the event that you're not able to obtain them yourself <laughs> or the, right. the government provides it and another thing is like standard of living is a verb you know it's not it's not a noun right it's not like we can all just achieve a high standard of living and then just stop you know, like it takes work every year. Like we haven't right. figured out how to automate everyone. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's going to take work to maintain our standard of living. That's why people show up to work every year, year after year, because it takes work to keep up our standard of living. And if everyone just stops, <laughs> then right. you shouldn't expect to be able to maintain that standard of living. It's It's not like... There's no magical pile of wealth or standard of living hiding under a rock somewhere or in the government's treasury that we can rely upon. The treasury is, has nothing. <laughs> Their yeah. assets are $1.5 trillion in student debt and then $22 trillion of liabilities. Where's, this, <laughs> where's the wealth we're tapping into? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, people tend to say that... Um... I guess I'll specifically call it Bernie Sanders wants to say that like, oh, we're the richest country in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, we have the money. We can pay for it. And it's just like, that's so, it's not, um, it's not it's, right. Well, it's like, <laughs> yes, but also no. It's like, we're very rich, but that doesn't mean we can pay for anything. It's like, you right. can't just make one state. It's like, Bill Gates is rich, therefore he can run the world. No, that's not correct. <laughs> it's like, you can't just... Right. Make one statement that's true and then just make a completely unconnected statement 
<laughs> that's also true. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just it's you got to think a little bit harder than that. And uh, yeah, it, um, we're talking about uh, the like uh, the treasury, and it's like you know when we talk about the government bailing people out, it's like the government's not bailing anyone out. They don't. They're not sitting on any pile of resources to bail people out with. It's coming from us. We can't all bail ourselves out all at the same time. It's like, uh, you know, um, like they're, they do have a form of wealth in like military capital. Like we could sell a lot of our military off to the rest of the world. And that could be a a source (laughs) of actual true wealth to bail us out, but that's not what we're doing. (laughs) So like, yeah, you know, I don't know why people expect things to get better. Yeah, that's um if you want to talk about optionality, mm-hmm. that's like if you if you position yourself to be able to continue your, your lifestyle as long as you know, a certain set of assumptions is continuing. Um for example, assumption that there's never going to be a global pandemic. <laughs> um mm-hmm. then you're fine. Well, probably not even fine, but say you're able to just maintain your lifestyle for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ha- that exogenous shock that you weren't expecting happens, and then you have to sell the asset that would protect you in a vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. It's like you're you're doubly uh, you're doubly neutering yourself. Right. Um, that's called that's called you know loss of optionality. If like a, a good you know a good um, way to think about maintaining optionality is to like hedge a situation. Where like right. if there's if you if you say wow we have a lot of uh, debt so we really need to be able to run the economy and our largest asset is our military or our military capital but we can't afford to lose that in an event where we can't afford to service our debt so we're going to stockpile a bunch of masks <laughs> <laughs> in an event where right. we have something that that shifts our our optionality we're able to to maintain a, a source of optionality in that our hospitals can still run, but we're, right. we're doubly exposed to a shock when all we have to give up is our defense, you know? Right. Like we, we stuff. haven't been doing any preparing, right? Like nobody, nobody's been, uh, just, just under consuming just in case, you know what I mean? Like we, we lack, uh, that optionality that you're talking about because we just haven't tried to build in any hedges. And that's what savings do is they, they give you, it's, it's just a natural hedge against volatility. Um, and just, it's just so, so disappointing that we have this central planner that's discouraging what's at the very heart of wealth accumulation and pulling people out of poverty so it's just like i don't know (laughs) that's what we're here for though that's that's why we're talking about it is just we want to we want it to end we want the madness to end yeah i think a, a positive spin on this specifically i think you know once we make it through this um in the future like those kind of those kind of comments are, will never be in our lifetimes I predict will never be taken lightly again it's like you should save a, a rainy day cash reserve mm-hmm. and someone would be like yeah but you know I can leverage it and I can make a lot more money today and it's like 
no what if we have another event like the coronavirus and they'll be like mm-hmm. okay i see your point <laughs> I'll, I'll i should do that you know it's really illustrative which i th- i don't think you know you know in our day and age with our our capacity as humans to understand a future like we can understand we're not like we're not animals we don't well we are animals but we're not just like (laughs) (laughs) we're not simple-minded organisms that aren't able to like conceptualize a future like we're able to we should be able to entertain the idea that like oh in the future something bad might happen therefore i should listen i should entertain this comment about preparing for that you know seriously um but i think in the future i think it'll just make us more you know, ready to have that conversation as opposed to dismiss it. I always hear people that are like live through World War Two. Actually, no, sorry, people that live through the Great Depression like never trusted banks again. <laughs> it's like it's not necessarily the most efficient way to do it, but it's like they're not. They know that they're never getting screwed again by a bank because right. they're not. You know, they've got that that hard callous shell built up that. <laughs> Right. And that could actually, I mean, I could see the effect of all of this is a central bank is never instituted ever again. Because I, I think yeah, be. at, at this rate we're going, like, you know, it's it's looking like we're on the path to just central banking completely blowing up. Um, right. And I think I hopefully, I, I mean, I don't know what other con- conclusions people will be able to draw if like they really just destroy currencies that other than like this was central banks that did this. Um, yeah. Although I'm afraid cause I mean, we even talked about it. people might just say like, Oh, it's Trump's fault. It, he should have had the foresight to have a stockpile and it wasn't it was because of him that we were so exposed. And then that was the, that's what I, I can see. I can already hear people saying like, Oh, the, this is a completely exogenous effect event. And, because of the virus and only because of the virus is why we have this problem. And it's like, no. Yeah. I think a lot of people do, do think that, that this is a strictly coronavirus problem, but then like what they have to look at is, you know, there were much bigger exogenous events that had much smaller effects. Right. Uh, And so people have to consider that, we are more vulnerable because like we we're just getting into like this shock and you know, markets have already dropped like 40%. It's unemployment is skyrocket. So it's, you know, this is, you know, like the, what was it? The, um, Spanish flu. I mean, I guess back then people just couldn't afford to not work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So like, they just accepted, you know, I'm either going to die or, <laughs> or I'm going to keep working. Like, you know, like it's, there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't that optionality is like back mm-hmm. then the productivity was just lower. You just had to go to work. Like you really just didn't have a choice. Um, so, I mean, that could, that could have been part of it, but you, you just look back like world war one into the Spanish flu just almost seemed like that should be just i don't see how we could live through like that would just collapse (laughs) us so utterly and completely Mm -hmm. at this point you know like it i don't think you can reasonably compare the coronavirus to like that level of volatility in a system 
And it seems like I we're responding much worse. The comparison, I guess, would be like as if right now, like half of our half of our male population from ages eighteen to twenty five died. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Like, like is that that would probably be like a billion people or something? I don't even know what it is, but it's like oh, it's insane across the world. Yeah. yeah, or just in the U.S. I don't know what it would be, but like, well, in the U.S. it would be less than probably be like fifty million. That's still an insane number. Like right. that's yeah. Like that would be so destructive to our economy. Uh, it's like, I can't even fathom. And so it's like the fact that this disturbance is having this large of a effect, people gotta, people gotta look a little deeper. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I'm in favor of keeping this one short, unless you have some else to talk about. Telling me you want to do less, Joe? (laughs) Yes. I can respect that. <laughs> Alright. enough. Well, uh, thanks for joining us this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take it easy.